Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at All right, how many of you know who uh, Do Perfect is? Some of you do. Uh, if you don't know who they are, they're a, a social media sensation. Uh, they have over 60 million followers. They're pretty incredible. Uh, they love Jesus. They, uh, they're kind of a trick shot kind of a uh, show. Uh, they also do variety games, all that kind of stuff. They're really funny, a lot like me. Okay. Um, anyways, so my wife and I, a couple... But about a month and a half ago, my, my wife actually came to me and said, Chris, I think our boys, we really want to send them to uh, do perfect. So what do you think about it? So we, we kind of just, we, it was a couple days before, we actually had tickets um, uh, up in the balcony, I think, and we were trying to recalibrate a few things. And so we kind of, we, we decided, okay, we want to get some VIP passes. We had access to that, and so we, you know, we prayed through it. We were really excited for my boys. My boys absolutely love Dude Perfect. Um, they think they're bigger than life, and so we really wanted to bless them, really surprise them, and so we kind of got down uh, to, okay, how are we going to afford this? And we knew we're going to eat ramen noodles for about three weeks after we made the purchase of these tickets, but, but we knew it was worth it. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's worth it. So, um, we tell the boys, the boys are really excited. My daughter also had the opportunity to go as well. My wife went, uh, but I was able to take my boys to the VIP part of, of the, the whole show. And so uh, we went to, uh, it used to be called Pavilion. Now it's called uh, Extra Mile Super High Pavilion or Arena, whatever. And so we went, we went in and uh, we could see there are five guys. And I could see Tyler right in the middle. I'm like, oh my, this is amazing. And if you know my boys, everyone say Quincy and Wesley. They're my sons of thunder. They shut everything down. They're loud. They're just sometimes, uh, I'm not going to say that. Um, but they're wonderful boys, super outgoing. But they started getting really nervous as they saw their heroes right in front of them. They're starstruck. So we're at now at the front of the line and we see this long table and we see cameras and we see them. And we, you know, we go up and the guys were really nice and uh, the boys were struggling with talking to them. And then I started struggling talking to them. I'm like, oh my God, you're amazing, right? And so, but it was a great time. And you know, they looked at me and said, you're probably the coolest dad we've ever seen. Kidding. And, and, and so I went into, and then we, great time, high-fived them, got some pictures, got some photos. Do we have a video of that? Oh, you already showed the video. Okay. So then uh, we moved into the show part, and uh, man, we were five rows back from the, the front. And my boys were like, oh my gosh, dad, this is so incredible. And they're like, we're hungry. And I'm like, here's my credit card. You never give your credit card to a 12-year-old boy. And I'm like, at this point, I don't care. It's like, let's, let's just get food. Let's be unhealthy. Don't tell your mom. Like we, I mean, if you know anything about my wife, I love her. She wants us to live a long life, but sometimes it's depressing, the food that she gives us. <laughs> I'm kidding. She's actually an incredible cook. It's, it's such a blessing. But sometimes, how do you know you need a hot dog? 
He needed a chili dog or something, right? A Coke and a pretzel and Skittles and, and all of that goodness, right? Snickers. How many of you love Snickers? The best candy ever invented. So I sent my boys up knowing they're going to get all of it. So they came back with just, just a cornucopia of just unhealthy food. And we started eating it. We were having a great time. The show starts. The gentleman right beside me, he's a 45-year-old man. He starts screaming. He, sp he spills his beer all over me. I'm like, what in the world? But then I'm like, I don't care. Well, this is amazing, right? My boys, they see Tyler come out. They, because we're not far from the stage, they jump over my body and they're running. And then I hear some little boy behind me screaming, Tyler, Tyler. And then I realized it was my voice coming out of my mouth. Like, like what? What? Right, you know? And so we had such a great time. And then what I loved about it at the end, this is amazing. They get up and they share their faith. And they preach the gospel to 18,000 people. And lives are transformed. So at the end, uh, my wife and I, we, we had a conversation with my boys at the end of the night. And we asked them, hey guys, what'd you think about this evening? And this is what they said. This was the greatest night of our lives. And that's just something, I mean, for, for my wife and I to sacrifice and to count the cost, we in that moment knew it was worth it because of the dramatic effect that it had on my, my sons. I mean, we were just blown away. Now, if you were to ask me again, would you do that again? And I would say absolutely yes. If you were to ask me, was, was dude perf uh, perfect? Was it worth it? I'm like, yeah. Was the sacrifice worth it? Was the ramen noodles, were they good? Yeah, actually, they were pretty good. Beef style's pretty amazing, right? Was the sacrifice worth dude perfect? And we would say, absolutely. When we come to this parable that we find in Matthew chapter 13, as we read earlier, um, Jesus is showing us that the kingdom of God is a lot like this. Now, I understand the implicit comparison between do perfect and the kingdom of God is nonsensical, right? The kingdom of God is infinitely greater than do perfect. But Jesus is showing us something similar. Not only is he showing us something similar about sacrifice and devotion and our life before God in the kingdom of God in Matthew chapter 13, he's showing us the key to a life of devotion. How many of you have ever struggled with your, your devotion? Jesus is saying, okay, here's five of you struggle with your devotion. <laughs> Jesus is saying, Here, here's the key to living a, a devoted life to Jesus. Here's the key in Matthew chapter 13 to living a life of sacrifice, to counting the cost, to living a life of abundance even. And the key to the kingdom of God is learning to give your life away. And the key to that, I'm going to get to that point here pretty quick, um, of giving your life away in the kingdom of God is absolutely foundational for a life of devotion. Now here's the thing. Luke chapter 6 verse 38 says this. Give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running all over, poured into your lap. The measure that you give, everyone say give will be given back to you. So here we see the dynamics of the kingdom of God fleshed out in front of our eyes by Jesus in Luke chapter six. He says, this is how the kingdom of God works. Paul tells us in Acts chapter 20, I know I'm talking really fast, but I wanna make sure I get this message in your heart. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
That's fascinating. So what Jesus is using, he's using a commercial metaphor and he's talking about how uh, in this commercial setting, you would have a measuring apparatus and people would bring their grain to be measured uh, to get the value and they would take the grain and they would stuff it into this cup and then they would take more grain and stuff it into this cup and they would take more grain and stick it into this measuring cup in order to vow, in order to get an evaluation of uh, the grain. And this is a picture of the life of the kingdom of God, that God brings grain grain, he brings his grace and his life, excuse me, into our life and it runs over. So the life of the kingdom of God is one of abundance. But here's the thing, to get access to that abundance, you have to learn to give your life away. That's the paradoxical nature of the kingdom of God, right? To get abundance, you have to Give. You have to live a life of sacrifice. Are you with me? So think about that. Meditate on that. As we read Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, I want to read it one more time for you. Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his, could you say joy? Joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So here, here we have again, I, 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 wanna, I, want this to, I wanna bring this to your attention, your mind right now. What is the key to living a devoted life? Right? How, do, how, do, how do we negotiate when we wake up in the morning and we don't wanna devote our lives to Jesus? And probably only one person has ever experienced that here, right? Have you ever woke up and you're like, oh my God, I, I, there's something off. I don't want to pray, huh? Just me, okay. Over here on this side, anyone over here? You struggle with, oh, I don't know if I want to give everything today. How do, how do, how do we negotiate that? How, how, do, how do we, no, no matter the circumstances, no matter our subjective mood, how do we constantly live a life of abundance by giving our lives away? Well, we find in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said, there's a treasure in the field and the one who discovers it will sell everything. All right, so imagine that you discovered, just this is a thought experiment, discovered gold or oil on your property and no one else knew. What would you do? Like, I don't know how you figured it out, but you just somehow figured out one day in your backyard, there's gold and oil, like billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of just, we'll call it treasure, down beneath the shrubbery and the coop with all those pooping chickens, okay? My question is, would you, and this is, this is the force of Matthew chapter 13, would you sacrifice everything to extract that treasure? Would you do the hard work? Would you, would you sell your home and the chickens to get the equipment? I'm not making a political statement here, okay? But to get the equipment to extract the treasure in your backyard. I think everyone in this room who had clarity of perspective would say, of course, of course, I would do what I needed to do to get access to that oil. 
What's funny, if you came to me and you explained everything, you're like, Chris, last night, I don't know what it was, but I had this really cool machine, this cool technology, and I was able to like figure out that I have billions of dollars of treasure in my backyard. And then I asked you the question, okay, what are you gonna do about it? And you look at me and you're like, nothing. First, I would say, I'm gonna call your counselor. Second, can I do the work for you? So, so the issue is when it comes to sacrifice, and I want to make this very clear into a, in a life of devotion, the issue is always a matter of perspective. Can you, I'll ask it this way, can you see yourself being sad and feeling deprived for having uh, to gather all your resources and to sacrifice all of them in order to buy the equipment so you could extract the treasure from your pop property? I could not imagine anyone coming to me explaining the circumstances and saying, I just feel really sad right now. It's gonna be hard. I love, I love those chickens, but we're gonna to have to get rid of those chickens. I, I tell you what, if that happened to me, I would be having fried chicken that night. It's bad. I know I love my chickens. I really do love my chickens. They're demons, but I love them. So, okay, this is, this is, please hear me. This is what the life of the kingdom of God is like. It's filled with abundance and joy. It's, it's like a treasure in a field. And, and Jesus is bringing us into clarity. No one goes sadly or reluctantly into following Jesus. Why? Because when you know who God is and you believe that Jesus is the most compelling person in the universe, when you get into your bones that Jesus really did, and it's not just an abstract way of thinking about God, but that Jesus in time and space on your behalf went to the cross and absorbed your sin and your pain and your suffering into his body for all of space and time, backward and forward, and that Jesus destroyed sin and he now rules, I'm like trying to figure out my words here, but he now rules over death itself. And then he bodily came back from the dead. He went through death, came out on the other side, and he ascended into heaven. And as a fully embodied, the Son of God, fully embodied, now reigns and rules over creation. And he's still ruling, and he poured out his spirit on his people, and as Pastor Ken talked about a couple weeks ago, this assembly of Christians here today, we are blessed. And I think he used the words that we are the most lethal force in human history. Not lethal with violence, but lethal with love and with power and with authority. Why? Because Jesus is no longer in the tomb. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess this reality and then the good news is God is not done with planet earth there will be a time in human history that God will make all things new and heaven and earth will join up and there will be no tear and there will be no suffering and there will be no pain and there will be no death and there will be no come on somebody 
sickness and evil that defaces God's creation. Wow. That is our story. When we know that Jesus, the Son of God, the Lagos, John chapter 1, the Lagos is the Greek understanding of the principle of life that sustains the entire universe. It was impersonal. The Lagos in Greek philosophy is kind of like Star Wars and the mythology of the force and how you can manipulate an impersonal force for your own good or for evil. John completely subverts the Greek philosophy of the Lagos. He says the Lagos is not an impersonal force. The Lagos is the Son of God who walked among us, who tabernacled among us, who breathed and became fully human and gave his life for us, who healed the sick. Come on, somebody. And forgave sinners and blessed enemies and came out the other side of the cross ruling over death itself. And we are here because Jesus is Lord. You see, when we get that, it changes everything. Because here's the problem. When we talk about counting the cost, I know it. I feel it in me. Maybe you don't feel it. But in the modern world, when we talk about sacrifice, when we talk about denying yourself, which Jesus talks about often, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. In the modern world, we think of that as dreary and bleak. Like I remember, man, I just remember growing up in the 90s and 2000s, because I'm really young, okay? And I remember preachers would get up and they're like, okay, we're going to follow Jesus, so you're going to give everything. And as I know I did this, I know my friends kind of thought this way, we're like, okay, you ready? The next 50 years, we're not going to have any fun, but we're going to follow Jesus. No fulfillment, right? We're all going to be missionaries. We're going to go to the Amazon. We're going to translate the Bible. And we're not going to like it, but we're doing a good work. You know? Now, I think people, God has called people to go to the mission field and translate the Bible. But, but God has called all of us to different spheres of influence. He's called us to business. He's called us to the world of politics. He's called us to, uh, to poetry, to the arts, to education, to ministry. We keep on, and we keep on going and going and going. But the problem is, is that we have a tragic misunderstanding of sacrifice. And I believe it is because of our misunderstanding of who God is. We no longer see God for who he is. That is why it is a struggle for many modern Christians to sacrifice and to live a life of devotion. You see, counting the cost, according to Jesus, is not a zero-sum game where God's the winner and you're the loser. Right? Where God comes and takes all your fun and all your fulfillment and you can't be what God has put on your heart. That's a business guy or a pastor or a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. I believe God has called us to steward the gifts of God by the power of the Holy Spirit given to us by Jesus himself to bring about the kingdom of God in our city. Can I get an amen to that? So this is not a zero-sum game where God wins, we lose, and we're going to be depressed until heaven and earth join up. To count the cost is to take into consideration both the losses and the gains of all possible outcomes. It's to see which is the most beneficial way. Everyone say to see. That is the key here. My basic thought here today. The key to a life of devotion as we go into the fall. And I'm so excited for you guys because God's going to do something so powerful in this church. 
I feel like Bishop T.D. Jakes, get, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, right? Because God has something big for us and the key to a life of devotion and the key to counting the cost is all about clarity. My wife and I had clarity. A lot of times I don't have clarity. But when it came to do perfect, we knew for my boys, they were bigger than life. And because we knew the dynamic of do perfect and their influence on our boys, the sacrifice was worth it. I'm like, boys, you want more hot dogs? I'll give you whatever you want, right? Why? Because there's something qualitatively different coming into a room with their heroes than just watching online. Was it worth the cost? Yes, because my wife and I knew the benefits that would take place in my three kids. And until we see Jesus, until we see Jesus in this way, until we see him as superior over all living things, we cannot grow in our life of devotion and giving and sacrifice. And the reason why I think we struggle with even our spiritual rhythms is, guys, please hear me, it's a moral calamity, but it's because we have forgotten who we serve. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. One, one expert in the 19th century, he came up with this sermon title. I love it because it's exactly what I want to flesh out here today. It is, your God is too small. What he was saying is not that your God is too small, that he's limited by, you know, temporality and circumstances and, and the economy and politics and all that kind of stuff. And so God is unable to meet your needs. That's not what he's saying, because we believe that God can meet our needs. Can I get an amen to that? God is a good provider. He's a good father. And he loves us with an everlasting love. What he was trying to say is that your God is too small, and that is why you're unwilling to sacrifice anything. If I didn't think, my wife and I, that dude perfect was worth it, we would not sacrifice. We would not count the cost. You see, it all comes down to, guys, what do you think matters the most in the universe? And whatever you say in your heart and your mind, I promise you, you will sacrifice for that. If it's fantasy football, yeah, you're going to sacrifice for it. If it's your work, you're going to sacrifice for it. Whatever you decide in your heart is the most important value in this world, your heart will always follow in sacrifice. Mm. I think the big elephant in the room in the church world today is not just moral failures. It's not just scandals. It's not just, uh, you know, the critic would say, well, you know, Christians are hypocrites, all that kind of stuff. I think the scandal is we can't see God for who he really is. Our minds in many ways, because we just go through life, I get it, and we just, we live in a social media world. Minds are, are graffitied with all kind of different messages. Right? We have a tragic misunderstanding of God. And 
Like some of us think well, he's detached from us, that maybe some, he's, not, he's not there for us. We believe kind of in a situational atheism that, yeah, God, you're, you're in charge on Sundays, but when it comes to Tuesday and I have a big need with my family and a big problem that I'm trying to work through, you just automatically assume that God doesn't care. That's a big problem. How many of you would say that's not what God is like? God is not limited by space and time. That his desire is to provide and to be there with his grace and with the kingdom of God. So I think because we have this tragic misunderstanding of God, sometimes our minds are graffitied about who God is, or maybe we embody a life that betrays our beliefs that we come and proclaim on a Sunday. If we're not careful, and I think this is the big elephant in the room, we maintain a consumer and client relationship with God in the church. So what we do, in other words, we opt for a Christianity without sacrifice or without giving. We want a kingdom without a king. We come to church and we just want just a blessing. We come to church and we just want our, our fix. We come to church and we just want the pastor to preach me into devotion, right? Or we come to church and we need the worship team to sing our song. All those things are good, but if that's all it is, we just, we, we maintain we maintain a client relationship with God. God wants us to mature out of that. He wants to move us into the deep life and activity of the kingdom of God, which is rooted and centered around learning to give our lives away. And the way we give our lives away is an issue of clarity. You see, the root system, I believe, of the client relationship, where we just come and we kind of consume God, is our misunderstanding of the nature of God. God loves us. We proclaim it on Sunday. On Wednesday, we don't believe it. We come back on Sunday. We proclaim it. Tuesday, something really bad happens, and we give in to the notion that God is not present. God is not there. What Jesus is saying in Matthew 13, maintain your focus on the kingdom of God as the most valuable thing on the planet. And when you maintain that focus, no matter what comes, no matter what, hell or high water, difficulty, bad times, good times, you will be able to grow in your capacity as a giver, and you're gonna grow in this sacrificial life of joy and abundance and fulfillment. I got a few minutes and I want to pray for you, but let me say this about the centrality of giving. Actually, I'm going to back up just a little bit. I am fascinated. I'm on Twitter uh, a lot, maybe just occasionally. And <laughs> Twitter sometimes is a cesspool of negativity. I'm like, oh my God, shut your face, right? But, but I was, I've, I've been on Twitter and it's fascinating. They're, right now, Muslim evangelists are, are, are spreading throughout every urban center around the world. In fact, one expert says that the future of England is Muslim. I don't believe that, but what I find fascinating is that these Muslim evangelists will engage people on the street, and because they believe Allah is so big, they will actually, in their, in their presentation, whatever they call it, they will make big demands on future disciples or acolytes. They are unapologetic about saying, you're going to have to sacrifice everything for Allah. Why would they be so brash 
It's because they believe that their religion is bigger than anything else. May I suggest as Christians that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This isn't to denigrate Muslim evangelists. This is just to get a, come into a moment of clarity for us as a church. If Muslim evangelists can say their religion is bigger, guys, we know we are in the truth. We know that we're not called churchians, that we don't follow churchianity. We are Christians and that Christ is Lord over all things. And if we believe that he is bigger than all things, and we can slowly get into this. This isn't just something that just happens overnight, but as we do the hard work of opening our lives and receiving the kingdom of God, our capacity to grow in this knowledge becomes immeasurable. But as we do this, come on somebody, we become a body that is not, how do I say this? A vanilla domesticated version of the first century church. I'm not into vanilla religion. I'm not into a nice grandfatherly God that gives you whatever you want, but has no power and has no ability to change your life. I'm not into a religion that doesn't demand anything because a religion that doesn't demand anything doesn't mean anything. What does Jesus mean to us? And when we can answer that question, that's the game changer. That's when we start to make decisions and calibrate our life around giving and sacrifice. And guess what? That giving, that sacrifice that we experience leads us into joy and abundance. On the centrality of giving, and I'll close here really quick, the most in the words of one expert, the most widespread misunderstanding is that which assumes that giving is giving up something. That giving is being deprived of something. That giving is sacrificing who you are. In fact, people whose main orientation is a non-productive one feel giving as an impoverishment. You know what, my wife and I, if you were to ask us, what did it feel like sacrificing? I'd be like, no, it felt like so much joy. I mean, I was coming out of my body. I was ecstatic. Guys, this is what I wanted to do. I was committed to eating nothing for weeks so I could have this experience with my boys. Am I preaching too, too hard here? So this, guys, that, that, that attitude that giving is, is not giving up something. It's actually gaining the world. It's gaining all that God has for you. When we can immerse ourselves into that, that is the key to a life of devotion. And so we close here with John chapter 12. We have this negligent understanding of giving. Giving is giving up something and sacrifice. And we find this in Judas. I want to read this passage really quick. Six days before the Passover, John tells us, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for them there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, everyone say Mary. Mary. 
Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was about to betray him, said, why was this fragrance not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Verse 8, for the poor you have always with you, but you do not always have me. Judas was a thief? He's greedy. He had a scarcity mindset. Scarcity mindset is when you compare yourself with everybody else because you don't believe there's enough abundance to go around. The reason why some of you are comparing your talents and your gifts and your life right now with other people is because you've bought into a scarcity myth that somehow in the kingdom of God, there are winners and there are losers. Can I, I, that's, that was good. Should have got a better amen to that. Right? If you're in Christ, come on somebody, you're a winner. Not in the weird sense, we're going to dominate, we're going to be violent, whatever, right? No, you're, you're, you have access to grace. You have access to the abundant life of the kingdom of heaven. That's Judas. Why did Judas have that? Well, we could just, again, dissect the root system of his mindset. Jesus was not compelling to him. Mary's different. Mary saw things, I don't know how, but she saw things differently. She takes her year's worth of salary and she anoints the body of Jesus. And it fills not just the room with fragrance, but it fills the entire rest of human history with fragrance. In the words of one expert, 2,000 years later, we are still talking about Mary and her sacrifice. Sacrifice is what opens the door to miracles. Sacrifice is what opens the door to this moving of the Spirit. Without sacrifice, you don't have revival. Without sacrifice, you don't have a move of God. Without sacrifice, the kingdom of God does not come alive. Without sacrifice, you cannot move in the Spirit. Without giving, without sacrifice, without a life of devotion, we have nothing. But Mary saw something. She sacrificed everything because she believed that Jesus was the most compelling person in human history. I want us to be a Mary church. M-A-R-Y, but also M-E-R-R-Y. Whatever, right? That's, that's a bad dad joke, right? Okay. Dad alert. I want us to be a Mary church as we go into the fall. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm challenged by this. I'm willing to sacrifice for this next generation. My wife and I, our elders, our staff, our leaders, I know you're ready. We're, we're, we're ready to give our lives away to see a move of God in our city. That's the church that we are now growing into. We're not going to be a Judas church. Can I get an amen? We're going to be a married church. How, how, do, how do we become like this as I close? Three things. You have to ask, you have to dwell, you have to decide. You have to ask, you have to dwell, you have to decide. Ask, really quick. Jesus says this, ask and you shall receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. If you being evil 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you wisdom in the Holy Spirit? This is what we have to, if, if, if we want to move into a moment of clarity, if we want to get our sight back, if we want to like grow in our understanding of who Jesus is in our life, which is the absolute fundamental key to living a life of devotion, we have to ask God for it. We have to grow in our confidence in that what Jesus says, he means it, guys. Sometimes it's like we, we think following Jesus is like an algorithm. We got to get all these different things perfect in our life before God to move. Why don't we just ask today, God, help me to see you more clearly. There's something about the request in the kingdom of God that is so alive and dynamic. I love this. My, as we close, my, my, um, my kids know me really well. They, when they get me in the car and I'm taking them to daycare in the morning, they know, number one, mom's not with them. And they also know how to manipulate me. <laughs> Parents, you know this, right? Maybe dads, I don't know, whatever. Um, but what I love about my wife, she's just, she wants us to live long, right? She takes care of us. She cooks the best food in the world. But every now and then, we need a plain bagel from Starbucks. And so my kids, when I get in the car, they know how to ask dad with their eyes and their body. And my daughter, she just is a master manipulator, right? No, no, I, she is, she isn't. But she just knows how to get into my heart. She knows how to move my heart. And so she'll ask me, hey, daddy, can we go to Starbucks? And can we go plain bagel with cream cheese? And I'm like, you know what? With that voice, yeah. And then little, my little Rai Rai, you can't even understand what he's saying. And then he's like, blah, 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 blah. And then he's like, cake pop, right? And I'm like, do you want a cake pop too? I'm like, let's go with cake pops, right? <laughs> what else? You know, like, why am I shouting, you know? Um, isn't it funny? There is, the request is powerful. Okay, so if my wife and I are like this, we want to give good gifts to our kids because of a request and an ask, how much more your Father in heaven wants to give you what God has put in your heart? He's moved. He's moved by just you opening your mouth and saying, God, I just need you today. I need you. And you just believe it that he's going to come through that day or the following. I promise you, God is faithful to his word. Second thing, the second verb, dwell. We got to dwell. We got to dwell. John 15 says this, if we abide in the word of God, we abide in his words, Jesus talking to his disciples, we will bear much fruit. So there's a connection between abiding, we'll call it dwelling. There's a rich semantic world associated with that word abide. I'm translating it dwell. It simply means to settle into. Uh, how many of you love fall? How many love a fall candle? How many love eggnog lattes? How many love a blanket with a good movie when it's snowing outside? My God, I love it. You know, imagine yourself in that moment sinking into your couch and just staying there. That is the, the rich, evocative picture of to abide or dwell in Jesus. And this is the thing. Jesus has given us a command. I want you to do one thing. You abide in me. And then Jesus says, I'm going to take care of the fruit. The problem is many of us think we got to take care of the fruit and we forget about abiding. Jesus said, don't worry about fruitfulness. You just focus on being with me and abiding in my presence. Which leads me, how do we do this? I, you know what, I, I'm gonna just suggest this really quick. 
I think daily before anything else, wake up, take 10 minutes and pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. I've been doing this for the last several months before my kids wake up and they jump on my body and break some bones. I'll spend 10 minutes in my bed and I'm praying, our Father. Yes, yesterday was a hard day, but you're my Father. And then I'll say, let your name today, no matter what is going on, be glorified, be hallowed. You see, when there's a sequence, when you get the sequence right, when you start with God, God, you're amazing. If everything feels weird right now, but you're amazing. And when we start with him, everything else kind of falls into place. And I, I wish I could teach more on that today, but I, I don't have enough time. I think one of the ways we can dwell is by praying the Lord's Prayer, starting with God, your name be glorified in my life. And guess what happens? When you glorify the name of God on a daily basis, something's gonna happen to your mind, it's gonna ha something's gonna happen to your heart. But what I have found when God is big in my life, guys, I feel big. I feel strong. When I realize, God, you're bigger and you're larger, then this circumstance, I feel like I have the strength to handle anything. It's when I feel like God is small that I then feel small. That's why it's important that we dwell on God. Finally, I'm done. Are you guys still good? Make a decision. Just make a decision this fall to follow God. My question for all of us, are we really making a daily decision to follow Jesus? Because following Jesus doesn't happen by accident. We don't fall into discipleship. We don't fall into sacrifice. We don't fall into giving. My question is, do we really intend to do and be all of the high things we profess and believe in on Sunday? Have we decided to do them? Are we making a commitment to do them in prayer, in reading our Bibles, in giving, in opening up our hearts every single day to the life of the kingdom of God? Ask dwell, decide. When we do that, that's when the life of the kingdom becomes explosive in you. And that's when we begin to grow in a sacrificial life. And when we sacrifice, guess what happens? The heavens open. When we sacrifice, God moves. When we sacrifice, miracles happen. Give and it shall be given unto you. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.